Philly Will. Will Parks joins us here Will. on We're the Broncos on. Blitz. It's Brandon Cristal and Steve Atwater. Are you excited about Aaron Rodgers and the Packers coming to town, with specifically a chance to, to be on the field against a guy who's likely going to be wearing a gold jacket here down the road? Uh, I mean, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play our game, you know, but I um, mean, you know, at the end of the day, I can't I can't focus on him. I got to focus on, you know, doing my job and going out there and executing uh, my technique properly. So, hey, Will, Steve, Howard, how you doing, my man? What's going on, Big Steve? Not much, not much. Hey, you don't have to give me any details, but do you guys have a little bit more detailed game plan going to a game like this, or is it still pretty vanilla? Uh, uh, I think I'm in a little bit, you know, we uh, kind of treated this, uh, you know, similar to a game we game we practice, you know, film meeting rooms and all that type of thing. So, um, of course, you know, we kind of treated it like a regular season game. So, you know, we come in eight o'clock, you know, we get out the building by three. But uh, um, being as though it's a package, you know, we kind of you know got a little bit more in, um, you know, just to you know just to kind of better suit ourselves, you know. Obviously, like y'all say, you know, twelve's a great guy, and they got a group guys around that could complement him. So, uh, you know, we just got to go out there and do our job. Nice. Will Parks, our guest, Broncos second-year safety. And, you know, we we wound it down, and we talked to you a few weeks ago, but you got to play plenty in, in training camp and, and obviously in the first couple of preseason games. If you had to grade your training camp and, one, how you're feeling, but, two, how you played, how would you grade your training camp? Uh, I think I think I had a pretty consistent a consistent training camp. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't offbeat. You know, I wasn't giving up plays. Um, I think I went out there, executed my job, and made plays on the ball. Um, obviously, I didn't have a lot, a lot of picks that came out of there last year, but I think um, as far as knowing the defense and recognizing where I'm supposed to be, um, you know, at a specific time, is one of the main things I want to do to come out here. So I accomplished that. Um, one of my other goals was to come out here and be in the best shape as possible. I accomplished that. And another thing, just come out here and let these guys know they can trust me for another year. So um, just to come out here and execute, man, I, I, I definitely think that um, I did a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah. You're look, looking good out there. Now, now Will, where, where do you think uh... – from you being out in the field, where do you think this defense has improved that, if any, thus far? Now, I know what our opinions are, but what, what, what do you think? Um, uh, last year, last year we had trouble uh, stopping the run. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of runs got on us, but I think this year in the past few games, you know, we did a pretty good, solid job against the run. Um, and that just come with everybody paying attention to detail on um, with Joe Woods and all, and, and Coach Reggie and Coach Embrob, uh, all those guys. Um, you know, bring us in that film room and actually, you know giving us more attention to detail when it comes to gap fits and, uh, you know, just being in the right gap, playing off a guy, uh, knowing where another another guy's supposed to be and knowing the defensive front, man. I think that was a big thing coming into camp is just for us to stop the run, and we did a pretty good job at that so far. Well, let's be honest. Number uh, 94 in the middle, <laughs> big big dumb top echo, contributes to yeah, that a little bit. It's a big man who knows uh, he, how to stop the run. He, he contributed to that a lot. Um, he, he, had a, he had a heck of a game uh, this past uh, Saturday against the 49ers. And we look forward to him, you know, uh, you know, doing the same thing against the Packers, man. I mean, obviously we got to stop the run, but the big 94, man, he definitely helped us out a lot, man. Um, he just he's a, he's a vet, you know, so he's been there, done that. Um, he he knows he knows the plays um, in and out from day one when he got here. It wasn't he he didn't mess up. He didn't have no MAs, you know. He was on the stuff, so um, that's a big accomplishment for us to bring in Pecco. Yeah. Now, now, uh, what type of playing time are you guys looking at this week? If you, I don't know if you can tell us that or not. If you can share it with it, if not, if not. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to be playing a lot. Um, I'm, but uh, at this point, I don't know. I mean, that's that's upstairs, you know, in the front office. That's where those guys determine how much everybody's going to play this game. And let, let me ask one other question on that. Uh, now, you're, you're a veteran now. And as you get closer to the season, do you feel like you want to play more plays or less plays? And I know 
with the way injuries are now, uh, you know, you got to save yourself for the season. But at the same time, is there a sense that you still need to have some contact and have some game type situations before you go out into the field for the start of the regular season? Um, yeah, man, it's always good to go out there and get a lot of reps in. Um, as you said, I mean, being a player, I mean, the last thing you want to do is go out there in the regular season without playing any preseason or seeing any action at all and thinking it's just going to happen overnight. Um, the biggest thing, you know, definitely was, you know, just getting a lot of reps and then, you know, applying it to the game time. So I, I definitely believe in, you know, getting reps and, and, and coming out there and, and then doing the proper things when it comes to the regular season. Broncos Safety, Will Parks here with us uh, for another minute or two and really appreciate the time, Will. Last year, you were a rookie. You got to play plenty. You were a hero against uh, New Orleans, thanks to the big special teams play, the block by your boy Justin Simmons, the scoop and score by you. And when I saw Sean Payton, I don't think I told you this, when I saw Sean Payton at the uh, owners' meetings, he was adamant that you stepped out of bounds and said he had all these different <laughs> angles, and he, and he, he, he wasn't going to let it go. But, but my question for you, you – Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's fine. They changed the rule. You got a rule change. That's pretty big time when you can help contribute to an NFL rule change. That means uh, uh. people are taking notice. But – Look, people certainly know who you and Justin Simmons are. You're unfortunately still members of the baby no-fly zone. They they won't let you graduate to the to full no-fly zone status. But let me ask you, what is your goal goals? What are your individual goals heading into your second NFL season now? Um, it's crazy that you bring that question up because today I was actually getting my uh, thoughts together for my goals that I will be writing down um, later on as I go uh, home later on tonight. But um, I I can tell you one goal. Um, for sure, two things for certain. Uh, you know, I want to go out there and I want to, I want to, I want to be the guy to make that play. You know, when it went when, when we need it, um, and not just when we need it. You know, when uh, you know, with the, that first, that first, I want to be the guy to set the tempo. So if that's knocking somebody out, getting interceptions, returning for pick six, whatever it is, you know, I want to be that tone setter. Then during the game, you know, I want to be consistent with my playmaking ability. So, um, that's definitely the number one thing on my chart. Awesome. Well, I'm sitting next to a guy who's a tone setter. Uh, so, exactly. So he, 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 I'm trying to be like I'm trying to be like that, if not better. Well, Steve, you know. Hey, you're doing it. You're doing it, baby. All right. Final thing I have for you, because you said you're not paying attention to Aaron Rodgers. Who on the Packers are you at least keeping an eye on? I mean, when you got oh, guys no, like no, no. Nelson we, we and not, Cobb. I, I don't mean it like that, Rogers. but you have to <laughs> yeah. tackle other guys yeah. other than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you got you got big eighty-seven over there. You got Bennett. Um, it was a big addition to them. Oh right. They have a, they have a great great uh, a great offensive line. So. You know, we we just going out there. We playing Bronco defense. Um, that's that's how we play. We don't really worry about who's on the other side of the ball. As long as we execute our assignments and our alignments and our technique, man, uh, we you know we really think we go out there and, and be dominant. Guy, that would be nine news. Denver Sports. That is Orange and Blue seven sixty. Bronco Insider Mike Cliss, who joins us, presented by Coloradoans for Responsible Energy Development. Learn the facts at cred.org. Mike, you sweated it out with the rest of us out there as practice went a little bit longer. Did you get a sense of why we went longer? I, I, I feel like they had a lot of things they wanted to try to squeeze in there. Yeah, it seemed like, first of all, it was full pads, so they had their they had their share of regular drills and, um, you know, the 11-on-11. 11 11. And then uh, they really started game planning for the Packers. I mean, they had the, the scout team sheets out there where the first team, you know, the third string offense, Kyle Sloter, let's say, uh, they ran Green Bay Packer plays against, uh, the, you know, the second string or Aqib Tlaib's uh, first string uh, defense and the other way around, too. Uh, you had, uh, you know, the second or third string uh, defense running the Packer defense, which is about Clay Matthews is, is kind of the focus there. And um, because he played, he pass rushes from all over. 
And then, uh, you know, and they showed the looks to Trevor Simeon and Demarius Thomas and that. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, they had the full speed early, and then they slowed it down and kind of went through the Green Bay Packer plays. So it was almost two practices in one, not uh, not quite. But, yeah, it was a half hour, basically a half hour longer than normal. Yeah, it was, uh, I feel like they got got a lot of work in there. I'm trying to get a sense of what, Vance Joseph's practices are going to be like. I mean, we, to me, I, I was a little surprised when training camp started going where all of a sudden it was short, but he was like, you know, we got everything in that we wanted to get done. I, I, if there's some kind of sense of structure for the players, and maybe this is the way it's going to be. We want to make sure we get to what we do, and uh, we're not going to pay much attention to the clock here. Let's Let's get the work done, and I think the players will appreciate it once they get used to it. Well, it's it's been um, there is an identity to Vance Joseph's uh, practices. It's already uh, become evident that the foundation has been laid, and that is uh, this team's going in full pads more than I've seen since uh, uh, since Josh McDaniels in 2010 since the CBA. Yeah, there are limits on the full pads. Um, Vance Joseph is the only coach I know who's uh, who's reached those limits. Uh, and he's going the max uh, in in full pads. He, uh, he, you know, from now on, he's going to go once a week in full pads. Gary Kubiak hardly ever went in full pads last year. I think maybe three times all uh, all training camp he went full pads. If he went that many times, and during the season he only went a handful of times. Now he went shells a lot, which is the shoulder pads and helmet. Right. But uh, he didn't have the leg pads on there, so. Uh, Vance Joseph is going to, he's, he is about work. He, he believes in uh, work ethic. And uh, that means, that means pads. And what pads does, Corey, is uh, it makes you more physical up front, especially. You're more physical in the run game. You're more physical in stopping the run. And that just happened to be the Broncos' two weaknesses last year. And I do think there is a concerted effort. When John Elway hired Vance Joseph, I'm sure Vance said this in the interview. Uh, he wanted a more physical team. And uh, that might have been one reason why he got the job, because John Elway wants to see uh, more physicality, more toughness uh, out of his team, especially on the offensive side. And uh, that's what we've seen from the Vance Joseph practices so far. We'll stay with the uh, the theme of running the ball, not necessarily. We'll get to the defensive side, but uh, Jamal Charles will make his debut uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, it feels like almost all or nothing, and that's not to take anything away from even the timetable that's being put on, um, and he's a 10-year vet. But really, um, I think Jamal Charles would like to flash a little bit to to show the Broncos that they – they were right in uh, choosing him and being very careful with him up to this point. Yeah, I don't know if it's all or nothing. I think he's all. You know, I yeah. don't think there's a nothing here. Um, you know, I, it, if he's not going to make the team, Corey, they sure are wasting a lot of uh, uh, third week of the preseason uh, reps on him. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, it is. This, this, this is the week that you get your first team ready. That you get your that you get your team ready right here, this week in practice and and this preseason game against the Packers, and it's going to be a lot of Jamal Charles. Um, now he would have to make sure that he bounces back, and you know they'd have to feel confident that he could play the following week 
against Arizona. Uh, he won't play against Arizona, which is another sign, I think, that he's on this team. If he was in danger of not making this team, uh, those guys play in the fourth preseason game. And, uh, you know, as an example, Jerry Rice, uh, before he retired and he realized there wasn't a, a spot on this team for him, he played in the fourth preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals back in 2005. So it doesn't mean, uh, matter your stature. If you're not making the team, you're not playing much in game three, and you're playing a lot in game four. And that's just the opposite of Jamal Charles. So it does, uh, you know, it's just about tune-up, really. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how much he brings to the offense. Uh, because if he gets, uh, say, six carries in this game, I, I think we're going to see that dynamic effect that he's going to bring. And in turn, that might help loosen up Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas on the outside in the passing game. So he's really got a chance to make a difference with this team if it all works out. And the one thing the one thing that the Broncos are really going to key in on, as you pointed out, Mike, is how he bounces back after playing in a game, after after heating up, playing in a game, getting the, the targets he gets, the the catches, the the carries that he gets. And if he bounces back, okay, that's the that's the last thing that they don't know about him, it feels like then, in in your mind. Yeah, because he, he hasn't been banged around in almost two years. And uh so you know, is he gonna is he going to, are his legs going to be able to handle getting tackled? Uh, you know, how will his, well, you know, hopefully his knee doesn't swell up. Um, you know, you know, a, a player like him, you worry about the uh, soft tissue injuries with hamstrings and quads. You got to make sure you don't pull any of those. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, he not only had, a, he's, if he plays well, or, or let's put it this way, if he plays, and he will show the burst because he's shown that in practice. It's not going to go away when the lights come on. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a big game player anyway. But uh, really, the only concern is, um, you know, at at this stage in his career, will he be able to play, you know, four weeks in a row, the first four weeks till the bye week, and then will he be able to play the next ten, you know, or, or, or ten or twelve after that? And so that's that's going to be the concern. You can't have it to where Jamal uh, is electric uh, one week and then pretty much needs to sit a week if he's going to be effective again. You got you got he's got to bounce back. Our nine news and Orange Blue seven sixty Broncos insider Mike Cliss talking to us. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. How many reps does Von Miller get in in the dress rehearsal in preseason game number three? And how long do the starters play on the defensive side? I think you kind of know what you have over on that side. Yeah, I still think most of them will play a half. Um, I uh, there's uh, Vaughn might be a little different uh, because he hasn't played at all in the preseason, and so therefore, uh, you know, I was talking to your partner Andrew Mason. Uh, I think uh, we talked about it. Would it be ten plays? Would it be five plays? I think we put the over and under at six, which would be two three and out series. And if that happens, I think Vaughn comes out of the game. Sounds about right uh, with Vaughn in there, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it doesn't sound right with Aaron Rodgers in there, though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers figures to get a few first downs. Although the worst I ever saw Aaron Rodgers was against that uh, Denver defense two That's years right. ago in uh, 2015. 
Um, that's that was really what catapulted that Denver defense to one of the best of all time and onto the Super Bowl. I thought, but um, yeah, I, I, it's not going to be much. It, it won't be more than it won't be more than ten plays. How about that? Ten yeah. to twelve. Yeah, ten to twelve. If he plays a, a, a whole quarter, if there's a big long drive, if the Packers have a long drive to start the game, uh, Miller won't be out there for the second series. Yeah, that's I, that sounds about right. Do we know how mm-hmm. how much? And this CBS Force, uh, Mark Haas actually asked me this, and I thought I I hadn't even really looked. Maybe you know um, how much is Aaron Rodgers going to play? Is this is this a dress rehearsal for them? I mean. When it comes to preseason game number three, typically you're going to see the first team play at least the first half, right? Yeah, that's what most of them do. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not, uh, I don't follow the Packers, um, so I don't, I, you know. And I, I know that. Well, that's what happened to me too. I was like, well, geez, I didn't even think yeah. to even look. So, yeah, yeah but I would. Uh, what's generally been half? Used to be a half. Now some of these guys are about a quarter and a half. Yeah, it might be. You know, he'll play at least one series into the second quarter. I'd be surprised if he plays less than that. Because he, you know, that's a that's a timing rhythm thing for for their offense too. And I know he's extremely valuable. Uh, but I would bet that would be the compromise for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to play a full half, uh, but one series into the second quarter. It used to be they always played one series into the second half because they wanted to go through the halftime adjustments, that halftime 12-minute uh, break, and then come out for the second half and play one series. That was that used to be as, as recently as maybe three or four years ago. That was uh, SOP. Uh, but I, I would say uh, the injuries, as the money has escalated, the, uh, the protection of these guys has also increased. And so uh, really... Uh, they've started backing off about the uh, uh, halfway through halfway point of the second quarter. Yeah. L- last thing for me, Mike, uh, just throwing it out there. Good to see Shaq Barrett out there working and even to hear Joe Woods kind of hesitate as he answered whether he would get some reps, maybe not on Saturday, but he's thinking about it. Shaq's sounds like he's back going to be ready for week one, potentially. Yeah. He's not playing in the preseason, but I was surprised at how much he did yesterday. Um, I didn't watch him as uh, closely today. Uh, I did watch him yesterday, and he did a lot. I mean, not a, he did the individual drills, but some of those individual drills were heavy contact, uh, you know, heavy rush, one-on-one uh, pass rush against the blockers. Uh, that's a pretty intense drill. Now, probably the most intense individual drill there is. And uh, he looked really good at it. He was ready to go. So it does look like uh, Shaq is ready to play, although they're going to be uh, cautious and, and be smart about bringing him back. And the idea is to have him ready to go game one. And from what I saw yesterday, I know I, I had my doubts about whether he'd be ready game one. I think the combination of uh, what I saw yesterday and the fact that they desperately need him because they des- desperately need a pass rush partner for Vaughn Miller uh, I, I would say that it, uh, you know, that they're they're kind of gearing toward Shaq Barrett being out there for the opener against the Chargers. Wow, good stuff, Mike. As always, thank you. We'll uh, see you out there uh, tomorrow and see how long practice actually runs tomorrow. Clark, it's Dave Logan. How are you? Hey, Dave. I'm doing fine. Thanks.
Hey, uh, first of all, how do you get a word in on the show you do with Borges and Goslin? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, it's a uh, nationally broadcast radio program, but you can get it as a podcast right. on um, your computer, talkoffamenetwork.com. Rick Goslin of the Dallas Morning News, Ron Borges of the Boston Herald, and myself were all Hall of Fame voters. And we just take a look at football through a Hall of Fame perspective, but it doesn't mean it's old guys just simply talking about old guys. We uh, talk to guys past, present, and future. So um, a lot of subjects that come up, and obviously this week a lot on the contributors and the seniors. Yeah, no no doubt about that. I mean, obviously I want to talk to you about uh, what's coming up. You've got a vote on Friday. I mean, people mm-hmm. around here would be very interested in knowing sort of how, how you look at Pat Bolin as a, as a candidate. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that this is going to be – uh, somebody that merits a lot of attention. I mean, is is Pat in your mind? Uh, is he a surefire Hall of Fame guy to you? Well, he yeah, he is in my mind. But I'm one of 48 now. In this situation, being on the contributor committee, I'm one of nine. Except we reduced that to even five. I'm one of five going into Canton this week with the vote on Friday. So um, those five people then take the recommendation to the nine. But um, it's basically sort of rubber stamp. We come out of there with a recommendation. Whoever that recommendation is becomes the contributor nominee. Um, he's certainly one of several who are going to be in the hunt here. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be close. I mean, Pat Bolin um, is qualified. He, he's a guy who was close last year. He's got a lot of momentum. I know that. Uh, I wrote about him on our website, um, promoting him for the uh, Hall of Fame. But um, there are other people as well. Um, Bobby Bethard, general manager, whom I covered in San Diego, but whom I knew from years when he was in Washington. Um, Gil Brandt. George Young, also Robert Kraft is a owner for New England. But um, Pat Bolin is is one of the leading candidates. There's no question. The problem, Dave, I, as I see it, and I've talked to people uh, in and around that organization, the Broncos, about Pat, but mm-hmm. also talked to people who are very supportive of him. And one of the questions that comes up is, this is a contributor committee. If we bring out, let's say, Robert Kraft or Pat Bolin, but Pat Bolin to me is the lead dog at this point of the of the owners. Uh, if we were to bring him out, that's the third straight year we brought out an owner. And I've had several Hall of Famers say to me, hey, wait a minute, this is a contributor committee. It's not supposed to be an owner's committee. Um, you've had this thing. This would be the fourth class of contributors, and you would come out with an owner for the third time. That will be a consideration going in there. Do I think it will tip the scales? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I want to hear what's said in there. We've got a couple consultants uh, who are Hall of Fame consultants that will sit with us. I don't know who they are. But they often will sway the conversation. Uh, all I can tell you is I, I know um, he's at the finish line with a couple other guys. I, I know who the leading candidates are just from talking to people. He's one of them. Hey, to, to play devil's advocate for a moment, what, you know, not, not that, and I've never been involved in one of those committees, so I don't know exactly uh, the protocol, but mm-hmm. when, when, you're, when you're stipulating some of the, the pluses for a potential inductee i mean do other people talk about yeah that's fine but and then they've got some things and if so play devil's advocate for a moment and and argue the case that pat might not be one of the guys this year well might not be to me it would be uh, how can we how can we bring out an owner you know that would be that that, someone's gonna say how can we bring out an owner for the third time we eddie debarlow two years ago we had jerry jones this year we're coming out with an owner again um, this is not supposed to be an owner's category. It's supposed to be a contributor's category. We started out with two G- GMs. That was Ron Wolf and Bill Polian. Right. Um, we've got 
people like Art McNally, referees qualified. I'd love to have another official going. We've got one official in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Who, who, who is that? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me, and it's from the 40s, and and I, I 40s and 50s. I, I can't think of his name, but okay. it's one. And I, uh, but I, I, I should know his name. I don't. Um, but then you've got uh, you know someone like you now Steve Sable. But I know what you're going to say, and you're right. Ed Sable, his father, he's in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? He is. Mm-hmm. And I know when that came up, it was Ed or Steve. And Steve, when he was alive, said, listen, if you're going to put one of us in, put my dad in. Sure. We put his dad in. And, and yet I think Steve Sable had a huge impact. He's not going to be um, I do too. one one of the the, the lead dogs here, um, but um, you know there's another guy, Dave, that you might remember, Bucko Kilroy, um, and Bucko Kilroy was the GM in the '80s with the Patriots and became a personnel guy. There was a scout, but do you look at his records and people go, "Who Bucko Kilroy?" He's an all-decade player in the '40s, uh, mm. played 13 years, all-decade. Then he goes to the other side and becomes uh, a, a coach, then a scout, then a GM. Uh, he was a GM in the 80s when the Patriots went to their first um, Super Bowl. He had a hand in the uh, in the uh, draft, in, in the composite, in, in performing the draft and getting it ready to go. And um, he also had a hand in the, the Super Bowl and what it looks like today. He was very influential. The problem you've got there is, and it's something I, I don't agree with, but you have to um, decide on these guys as either a coach or a player or if it's something else, then it's something else. And here you'd say, okay, he's a contributor. We can only look at him as a GM scout or whatever he's doing from that side. We can't look at him as a, as a player. And you go, why not? He spent like 60 years in the game, hmm. um, and he was a great player. Forget it. You either consider him as a player, and then he'll be a senior nominee if he comes out, or you consider him as a contributor. You break that resume in half. I don't get that. It happened with Dick LeBeau, too. Dick LeBeau, as most people know, one of the great defensive minds of all time, I think, and was a great defensive coordinator, still is. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, he also was a great player for the Detroit Lions. And I remember watching him. I mean, that was a terrific secondary. Absolutely. But you had to look at him either as a defensive back or a defensive coach. You couldn't do the two. And I go, why not? I mean, he is. there's another guy that spent like 60 years in the game. Can't we look at him as both and say, my goodness. I mean, yeah, he was a great player, but he's a great coach. This guy's got to be in. It doesn't work that way. Um, so that 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 hurts a guy like a Bucko Kilroy. And the other thing that hurt a Bucko Kilroy was in with the Cowboys in the seventies, and, and he had a hand, for instance, in the drafting of Roger Staubach. A lot of people think he had a hand in some of those uh, statistical um, analyses that they did that were way ahead of everybody else with computers and everything. But the fact of the matter is, you go, okay, wait a minute, Tech Schramm's in. We've got Gilbrandt up now. <laughs> We've got Bucko Kilroy. You want to put the entire front office of Dallas Cowboys? You, you can't right, do that. Right. So um, anyway. Yeah, so it's not going to be as uh, clear-cut as I had initially thought. We're talking to Clark Judge, who's a Hall of Fame voter. This is Orange and Blue 760. I'm Dave Logan. You know, Jim Tunney, I think, is the referee yeah. that you were talking about. He was the referee, I believe, in the ice school. Actually, it's Art McNally I was talking about. There's oh. two of them. Tunney's up. Tunney and McNally, but McNally's the guy I was talking about. Okay, our, our, okay Art McNally. So let me ask you, as, as a regular Hall of Fame voter, I think now I, I would have to think it's it's more difficult than ever before and and especially when you talk about an offensive player, and specifically when you talk about maybe even a wide receiver. I mean, the numbers mm-hmm. that these guys are putting up today are astronomical. But as you and I both know, that the game has dramatically changed in terms of how many times you, you pass the football. It used to be, uh, from a wide receiver standpoint, if you had X number of catches for X number of yards right. and uh, a, a certain a certain number of touchdowns, you were going to get in. But you, you can't say that anymore, can you? No, you can't. I mean, you would know, Dave. You played the position. I mean, yep. um, you, you go, um, you know, 
you're looking at just numbers? And I brought this up not too long ago. I said, we're looking at numbers, and that's all we are. We're the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame. Let's put Wes Walker in tomorrow. He had five of six years where he had 100 catches or more and led the league three of those times. Let's put him in. Well, he's not a Hall of Famer, and you and I know that. When you look at him, you go, okay, I understand. We're looking at difference makers, and, and that's why you have to have the eye test as well. And these numbers are so inflated, they, they really skew everything. And, and now when you get in that room, you know, that's all people talk about, n- numbers and, and uh, catches. And it, it, I mean, I had somebody – there was somebody in that room this year was talking – we were talking about Morton Anderson. You know, and, and I'm one of those that said, God almighty, Morton Anderson should have been in a couple years ago. Sure. He's the all-time leading scorer all decade, twice. Um, what are we missing here? And someone started running down his numbers, where he stood versus today's kickers. Well, I don't care where he stands versus today's kickers. All I know is he was the first-team all-decade kicker of the 80s and the 90s. Must have been pretty good, you know, when I saw him play, and he was. And, and I don't want to get in a whole thing on more Anderson, but that's why numbers are misleading. And as I said, um, you would understand as well, or better than anyone, with, with receivers, it's become a horizontal passing game, not a vertical passing game. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when people look at, for instance, Paul Warfield's numbers, I had someone tell me recently, how, how could he be in the Hall of Fame? Huh. Well, did you see him play? <laughs> yeah, did you ever like, watch him? Did you ever watch him? I mean, but they were looking at simple numbers. That's all they're looking at is numbers. And so, um, hey, listen, if you if you look strictly at numbers, I mean, Lin Swan, num- his yeah, numbers right. don't they don't stand up, right? And 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 it took him a long time to get in, and that is a complaint. But fact of the matter is, he made big catches and big games, and and you're you're absolutely right about that. But now the numbers are so outrageous. You go, well, I mean, I'll give you an example. Anquan Bolden, who retired this week, yeah. um, people saying he should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Well, I mean, I'd, I'm one of those that said, I don't think so. I mean, not only I don't think so, the answer would be no. And that's no disrespect to Anquan Bolden, yep. a terrific receiver, reliable receiver. But the fact of the matter is he wasn't all decade, and he was never once all pro. And if you're not one of the best of your era, you're not going to the Hall of Fame. And, and as I said, that's sort of the bitter truth, and I'm not trying to be a, a, a tough guy about it, but – you want to get the best of the best, and and that's why, as you mentioned, the numbers make it so difficult to try to sort these things out. Um, Julian Edelman's going to have prodigious numbers. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? I don't care what he does from here on now, from here on in. The answer is probably no, because to me, he, he's Wes Welker, really good, reliable receiver in an offense where Tom Brady throws the ball, you know, five and seven yards, very successfully, a lot. I mean, Brady's good down the field as well, but really good at intermediate and short passes. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think. Uh... You know, Anquan Bolden, as a former wide receiver, when I watched his game, I had much respect for him. Very tough, very physical, would catch the ball in traffic, put great numbers up, was durable, played a long time. But in my book, not a Hall of Fame guy. I'd say the same thing as you just said about Julian Edelman. Let me ask you one final question about a a position, really, that uh, is not necessarily numbers-based, but safeties, right? I mean, safeties, you don't have many safeties in the Hall of Fame, but you've got a group of players. I mean, we, we work with one here in Steve Atwater. you got John Lynch. Right. Uh, you know, Palomalu now has retired. He's going to merit attention. Ed Reed has re- recently retired. He's going to merit a lot of attention. What's the deal in terms of how, uh, from your perspective, the Hall of Fame views safeties and how you judge them? Well, we're more flexible on that than we have been in the past, and the evidence is Ken Easley. I mean, Ken Easley comes out this year as a senior nominee, and he comes, he gets in, and, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, you certainly knew a lot about him. He had a short career, but in that short career, he was one of the best. And, and you know, you have somebody like Ronnie Lott, whom I did cover and had have enormous respect for, saying, I mean, the best safety? No. 
Kenny Youth is the best safety. Yep. There's a lot of weight. Um, but I think, you know, with a game change, and you talk about wide receivers, it also changes at that position. And I think people in that room are finally beginning to realize that why it's taken so long, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a Steve Atwater fan. I covered the Chargers in the 90s. So I saw your team, you know, twice a year. Yep. And sometimes more in the playoffs. Um, but, um, you know, Steve Atwater, I, I, I would put ahead of some of these other guys that we're talking about, and he became a finalist last year, and I was glad to see it uh, in, in 2016, not 17, but I, I was glad to see it. And then he did not become a finalist this year. And I think, you know what, that means he's probably headed to the seniors when, when his time comes up. And that's sad to me because you go in that senior pool, you're dead. I mean, you, it's so deep. We have, I think, by Rick Allison's count, I think it's 92 all-decade players who are not in the Hall of Fame, 80 of whom have never been discussed. And that's sad. That's wow. really sad to me. And you talk about wide receivers. Dave, you remember a guy named Drew Pearson. Sure. First team all decade, Dallas Cowboys. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He's never been discussed. Why? Mm. I have no answer. I don't know. I mean, why is he not in there? And and yet he's not. And um, he doesn't understand it. And yet we have guys like, you know, Terrell Owens complaining because he didn't get in his first two tries. And Drew Pearson said, I want to hear from Terrell Owens. I've been waiting 33 years. Um, and, and I don't understand it. I hope he comes out. Um, you know, soon, very soon, because uh, actually, you know, you mentioned our show talk of him. That we we sort of made him one of those guys that you know, this is a this is an example of how we've gotten things wrong. He needs to come out, like just like Ray Guy needed to come out. Gosh, almighty, yeah. he's like, let's let's get the and Jerry Kramer's another guy. I mean, I just I, I don't I don't get it. 50th anniversary guard, not the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but anyway, with safeties, we're relaxing on and that and as I said, easily the textbook example but look who's coming down the pike now you mentioned you got john lynch you can have ed reed uh you always got brian dawkins i'd be shocked if brian dawkins is not a member of the class of 2018 shock and if he's not that's the way it goes but i would bet he'd get in then as i said you got ed reed palomalu you've got a, a slew of them and john lynch is waiting in the queue he's been a top 10 finalist the last two years um he's on the cusp so at least we're getting more flexible there uh, finally after a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Clark, I said last question. This this will be my last question. I mean, sure. when, you, when you look at representation in the hall, and, and, I, and I've said this publicly, you know, I've done, I know where you're going. I, I've done the Broncos a long, long yeah. time, and I used to, when people yeah. would call up the show and say, hey, wait a minute, how come this guy's not in? I'd say, listen, let, don't be so provincial. I mean, don't don't look at it strictly from an orange and blue glasses, right? This thing will always sort of work its way out. And now, after doing the Broncos, now this is my 28th season, I, I'm starting to turn around and start to think like the people that used to call the show think. It's just unbelievable to me that, that the Broncos are so underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. And you, as a Hall of Fame voter, give me an idea, I mean, a theory maybe, as to why that is the way it is. I, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with the team. I, I really don't, Dave. I mean, you've got Jeff Legwald in that room making the presentation. He's outstanding. Yep. And, and honestly, um, he's he's really a one reason that Terrell Davis got in. I mean, right. Terrell Davis had a wonderful career, but a short career. And I, I honestly, I didn't think he'd ever make it. I thought for those three and a half, four years, he was the best running back in the game. Boy, it's four years, that's really short. And I don't know that he could make it. He did. And, and you look at... You know, Floyd Little's gotten in recently. Um, then you've got, um, you know, Davis. And, and, and now you've got some other guys coming up. But um, I don't – I mean, I'm flummoxed as to why Mecklenburg and or Gratishar aren't in. I, Me too. I, I don't get that. Me I too. I just don't get it. And Atwater, I mentioned Atwater. I mean, I, I, I saw Atwater a lot. I saw some of Gratishar and Mecklenburg. But we just talked to Harry Carson yesterday. 
And we asked him about a couple linebackers, Wilbur Marshall and Carl Banks. And he said, you know, he's talking about them. Yeah, I think they're worthy of Hall of Fame discussion. And he goes, but I'm going to tell you guys, the guy who should be in is Randy Gratishar. He's the guy who should be in. And wow. so he argued Randy Gratishar's case. And, and I, thought that was, I thought that was great. I, I, don't, I don't understand that, Dave, because if you're talking, you know, mentioned earlier in this program, numbers – you look at Randy Gratishar's numbers, he had about 3 billion tackles. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what you're missing here. And so, you know, when I tell you, I go in that room, I don't really I'm, – I'm sort of colorblind on the teams. I, I really don't care who they play for. I remember the player, and oftentimes they've switched uniforms, but not guys who are seniors. But with the seniors, that's such a difficult job for them. They only get two guys every year. There, there is hope. I will tell you this. There is hope for some Denver players because – there's a chance, and I think a very good one, that there'll be what we call an amnesty. The Hall doesn't like to hear that, but uh, an amnesty 100 for the 100th birthday, the NFL, the celebration 2020, that they will actually allow more seniors to go in. They may do it one per decade. So you go one from the 20s, one from the 30s, one from the 40s, or it may even be more than that. I hope so, because there's so many deserving players that should be in there. But those three, Atwater, Gratishar, Mecklenburg, off the top of my head, I'd say, absolutely they should be in there. But um, I don't think there's any bias. I'm going to tell you, I, in fact, I'm certain there's no bias against the Denver Broncos, but I certainly do understand the feelings of Bronco fans and yourself because you go, I mean, we've got more Super Bowl appearances than we have <laughs> tried through Broncos in there. Right. Something's wrong, and I agree. Something's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Clark, always great to catch up with you. We'll look forward to, to, to doing it again soon. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for the time, Dave. You bet. That's Clark Judge.